Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So Israel and Judah had split apart. And Judah was the larger part of God's people. And Ahaz was the king. But trouble was brewing because two small enemies of Judah on their northern border were coming to attack Judah. And Ahaz was terrified. And Ahaz had decided that what he was going to do as recourse was he was going to make a pact with the great empire, Assyria. And Assyria was one of their enemies even further north. But for some reason, Ahaz calculated that he'd rather make a pact with the large enemy than go against the two small enemies on his own. And the prophet Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, you're making a huge mistake. You're operating out of fear, not out of trusting God. But Ahaz didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so Isaiah said to him, why don't you ask God for a sign? Now, this is a really interesting moment because... I've normally been taught we're not supposed to ask God for signs. And it seems like often in the scripture that that's not thought very highly of. I remember, um, you know, the time when I was really trying to stick close, which I generally am, did not eat too much sugar, but I really wanted a donut. And so you get in your car and you're thinking, God, if I'm not supposed to have a donut, (laughs) make every donut shop in town be closed. Once, uh, uh, after Miska and I broke up once in our engagement, I told you that story. I'm sure I'll tell it again. It's a, one of my worst moments. Um, but I went home, and I did a three-day fast, and I, what I was doing, I think, uh, was desperation, but I also was putting God to the test. I wanted some brilliant light to shine down, and it didn't happen. And Ahaz says, oh, I won't test God. But as you read the story, you don't get the sense it's because he knew that he wasn't supposed to do that. I mean, the prophet had invited him to. It seems that Ahaz didn't want the responsibility that came from actually hearing from God. He actually doesn't want to hear what God has to say. He doesn't want to be responsible for trusting God. He would rather go along with the plan he's concocted, which is going to be a nightmare, but he's got it in his mind that this is a good plan. Why is it that we often feel far more comfortable with our own schemes for managing our life than that dangerous act of trusting God? Why does it feel so much riskier to trust God with our future than releasing our future to God? And sitting here in church on the fourth Sunday of Advent with a pastor saying these words, it sounds ridiculous, right? That it would seem riskier to us to trust God than to trust ourselves. But it does. It feels that way. Undeterred, Isaiah says, well, uh, Ahaz, God's going to give you a sign anyway. And the sign is not for Ahaz only, but Isaiah says this is for the house of Israel. As we've talked about during Advent, the house of Israel, these words are so evocative if you're one of God's people. Because for centuries, 
you had been maligned and pushed down and without a home and oppressed. And the promise that God had made, which now to many seemed like a fanciful dream, was that through the house of David, somehow some kind of person would arrive sent by God who would be salvation, who would give them a home, who would give them safety, who would give them belonging. God would send a son to a young woman, Isaiah says, and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was a sign that Ahaz didn't ask for. This was a sign that Ahaz didn't want. This was a sign that, as best we can tell, no one really understood. Who is the woman? Who is the son? When is this going to happen? Isaiah gives a promise from God with very few details and no assurance whatsoever other than the sheer fact that this is God's promise. Isaiah tells us that God, in a unique and stunningly new way, is going to come to us. This is absolute grace. This is entirely God's action without any help whatsoever from any of us. There's a modern notion that we often are deluded by of this inevitability of human progress. That somehow we can amass enough knowledge and craft a powerful enough ethic that we can evolve as humans to the point where we can finally create the world that we long for. And it's lunacy. We require God to act for us. We are completely at the mercy. Left to ourselves, we are and will be ruined. But the good news is that while we are completely reliant on God to act, we have a God who is so eager to act. We have a God who is so eager and has bent God's entire being on rescue. The entire story of God's interaction with humanity has been God moving toward us, God searching us out, God finding us on our way, God finding us among our wayward paths, God finding us even as we close our ears and run as hard as we can. God searching after us relentlessly. God rescuing us. Grace. So last week, I was in Minnesota uh, at a hermitage for a, a short pastoral retreat, and it's, it was really good to be doing this during Advent. And I'd never had, I've done lots of retreats, lots of silent retreats, but I've never been at a hermitage before. And it was in the woods of Minnesota, uh, one day I was there, it was like negative 10 degrees. There was snow everywhere. There was no electricity in the hermitage. So a hermitage is traditionally a, a single room spot, sort of isolated. And um, there was no electricity, but there was, thanks be to God, uh, a, a gas burning uh, heater. Um, and there was a little, um, a little gas uh, burner where you could make water for tea and coffee. And there was a small gas lantern. And it was, it was really good, lots of silence. Um, but for this trip, when I, was, when I was figuring out the flights, 
And it's so annoying, you know, the way airlines, you have to pay for absolutely everything now. And it's so ridiculous. And, and, but, and I never pay for any of the extra things. But this time, I really, I was thinking this is a retreat. Like, I really don't want to get stuck in a really bad seat. I want to be able to pick my seat. And um, so I paid the extra 35 bucks or whatever it was to pick your seat. And then when it came time to actually check in, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it didn't actually let me pick my seat. And it just assigned me, and then there was nothing else available, and I was really annoyed. And, um, but on the return trip, there were going to be two flights. And the first one was going to be, you know, the one thing nobody wants, the center, the center seat, right? I was thankful, though, that at least on the second one, I got the window seat, which is what I was wanting to begin with. So I was like, man, I can endure this first one and just get to that one, and okay. Um, well, it, the situation got worse because when I, when I got to sit in the middle seat, um, I was what we all hate, you know, between two guys. So it was like three of us. And the guy to the right was like a very tall, very muscular beast of a man. <clears throat> and he plops down, and I, I quickly said, I'm not sure he spoke English, so I couldn't really inter- talk with him very well. Um, but he did the whole thing where he took over all of the, uh, the armrests. Thank you. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally like, like this. And then I'm starting to think, like, what are, what are the, like, the ethics here? Like, like, what is the, like, what's his responsibility to me? Um, and I don't, I don't know the rules. And then he, like, spread his legs out really wide. And so I'm, I'm like, shrinking. I'm obviously no small fellow, and I'm, and I'm, but I'm trying to get smaller, and, and I'm just holding it. And this was, like, a two-hour flight. And it was awful. And... And like every once in a while, I, I don't know if this was passive aggressive, I'm not sure, but like I would kind of nudge a little bit with my, like trying to at least send a, a human signal of like, I'm dying over here, give me a little space. And he would only like fight harder and, keep, and I'm just, and I'm shrinking and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Uh, Merry Christmas. And um, so then we, I get to the flight and I'm like, oh, I'm just so happy that on this last leg of the flight, I'm going to have this window seat, thankfully, and I get in and I'm it's great, and I, I just like the window seat, because I just like to lean against it, like a side I don't have to worry about anybody, you know, and I just can lean over, and the guy came, and it was, this place was a packed flight, all these flights were so packed, and this guy sat next to me, and the second he sat down, he turned over to me, and he said, my wife is sitting behind me, would you trade seats with her? And I turn around, and she's sitting there smiling in the middle seat, right behind me. <laughs> And I look back at him, and he just has these really tender, kind eyes, and he's looking at me with this kind of this pleading, like, would you, I want to sit with my wife. And you know what? I've been in the exactly same situation where, like, I don't want to be split up from this guy. I, want, I just want to sit with her. And I look at her, and then I look back, I look at him, I look back at her, and she just goes, please. <laughs> what in the world am I going to do? And thankfully, I did not have my clergy collar on. <laughs> But of course, I said, sure. And I think externally, it sounded like I was really eager to do this. But the reality is that was so hypocritical. Because inside, I was saying, you have got to be kidding me. I can't believe you asked me to do this. And I went back, and we traded seats. And for the next hour and a half or two hours, I was once again scrunching. And I tell you all that to say, even at our best moments, even in these moments where I, I think that guy thought, I was really kind and generous. 
I didn't think I had a way out. That's not the way God is. God is before us and leaping toward us to do good for us. God is so quick to rescue us from the middle seats of our life. God is so quick to come after us. Humanity was not begging for God to come in a baby. God came. We have resisted God and God comes anyway. We have forgotten God and God comes because it is God's heart to come for us and to rescue us. And so when we get to the reading from the gospel, we remember and hear this wonderful opening line. Now this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And what's most powerful and what seems most important in one sense to Matthew is that in everything other from the, the way that Mary was conceived, the way that Jesus' birth came about was exactly like the way that every person's birth comes about. God comes not first as a warrior or a sage or a politico, but as the simplest, smallest, most basic, most human reality, a baby. And I wanted us to really hear Isaiah first because I wanted us to hear where this promise was first most explicitly given, and it was amid the most dark and real and gritty human realities of war and fear and doubt and power struggles and poverty and a fear of futures, all the things that are most, uh, most pressing upon the human condition. And it was precisely into this place that Jesus came. Not as a powerful person, a warrior or a sage, but as a baby. We are not all warriors or sages or politicos, but we have all been a baby. If we're here and if we're breathing, we have come into this world the same way that God came. And in Matthew, we discover something that we didn't hear or wouldn't have known just from Isaiah. That this young woman is not just a young woman, she's a virgin. And God planted this life in Mary after receiving Mary's courageous permission. And we could talk for an hour about the boldness of Mary. In a way that made plain that this baby was in every way and in an unparalleled way bringing God to us. So Matthew gives us a paradox, a new idea that no one would have guessed or imagined unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to us. That the birth of Jesus is absolutely divine. But perhaps even more important to Matthew in this moment is that the birth of Jesus is absolutely human. Just before we get to this moment, in the opening words of Matthew is this long genealogy. Name after name after name, after name, of human, after human, after human, after human. And what Matthew is telling us is that Jesus came right into the very center of the human story. This is not a God sent here from Mars. 
another species entirely. This is God coming in the most literal way as one of us in our story. Jesus came as fully human because what he was doing was not merely giving us an ethical teaching, not merely giving us a moral example, not enacting some cosmic trade, appeasing God's anger with his death. Jesus came to recreate humanity. Literally. Literally. Jesus experienced everything we experienced, including resting in his mother's belly, attached to Mary through an umbilical cord, where his life depended on her life, where his life depended on her body. Jesus came through the womb of a woman. Jesus, Isaiah told us, had to learn. Did you hear this? Jesus had to learn how to refuse evil and choose good, just as we have to learn. Athanasius in the fourth century wrote this beautiful little book called On the Incarnation. And his entire, his entire effort is to give this multi-textured, explosive, nuanced, beautiful, profound reality of what actually it means for Jesus to have been incarnated, to have become human. And it's quite beautiful how Athanasius begins not with the Gospels, and not with Jesus, he begins with creation. Because what God did in Jesus was intimately woven into what God did with Adam and Eve. It was the continuation of the same story. God came not to merely drop Ten Commandments on us, but to completely enter and heal and renew and remake humanity, our bodies, our minds, our marriages, our fears, our futures. The Christmas story is Jesus in his very human body renewing all of humanity. And in that one child, we have the whole of human history, our past, our present reality, our future. If we don't understand what God is doing in creation which is fashioning people who are like him, humans who are truly alive as God is alive, humans who are truly human as Jesus is human, then we don't understand Christmas. It becomes merely a cute moral story. We won't understand Jesus' life or Jesus' death. We won't understand Jesus' ascension where he took all of humanity in his body to be forever united with God. We won't understand our future. We won't understand where we're heading. We won't understand what it means to be human. But if in this one child we have the whole of humanity, that is a powerful reality that remakes our own story and the story of God's world. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.